Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is Lucia Baywatt, a coffee photographer, content creator, and author of the book We Belong, an anthology of Colombian women coffee farmers. Initially, this was dreamt up as a photography book, but the final version of the book shares the stories of 25 women coffee farmers and pickers in Colombia, who speak not so much about their experiences in coffee, but reflect on how they were raised. Many recount being forced to grow up too fast, not being allowed to go to school, and being silenced in the favor of the men in their lives. Lucia's book is both beautiful and illuminating, capturing stories that are rarely ever told because many coffee actors simply fail to ask. Many of the interviews Lucia conducted were transformative. Most of the women said they had never been asked these kinds of questions or shared these stories before, and some noted that they felt completely different after spending time with Lucia. Beyond being a source of knowledge and insight about women coffee workers in Colombia, Lucia's book is about the power of transformation and how critical it is for us to ask questions and listen deeply. This interview is maybe one of my favorites, and I know I say that a lot, but it's so good and Lucia has so much to share that it's actually about 25% longer than most episodes. And I also recommend going to the transcript of this episode to see some photos from the book and some behind the scenes snaps as well. Here's Lucia. I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself. Sure. <laughs> so my name is Lucia Baywat. I do have the funny last name because I got married with an American guy and I was not forced to take on his last name, but I took it as an opportunity to get, to kind of give myself an artistic name and a name that no one else had because his last name is not a common last name. It's actually like a Polish word that got mistyped when one of his like great grandfathers were coming into the US. But yeah, I'm a Colombian creator. That's how I like to call myself. And I was born and raised in Colombia, in Quindío, which is the tiniest state in Colombia. And it's like a, it's traditionally known for coffee. So I, I, I had the pleasure of being born there and raised there. Such a nice place. I, I always like to go like the heaven of this planet because it's so it's so little, but it, it is so pretty. And, and yeah, I, I have spent the past 10 years of my life working in, in coffee, creating photography and video content for more than 12 uh, leading companies in the coffee industry. Most of them are American-based. And yeah, I've been traveling throughout Central and South America, visited and documented more than 600 
stories of coffee farmers and coffee families. And, and yeah, I like to spend most of my time reading. I love just moving my body and working out. I really feel like without that, I don't know how to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm pretty passionate about just learning, learning about the, the, the family history of people and about languages. I find those two uh, so connected to who I am. I left Colombia when I was 16 years old. I moved to China and, and then I moved to Argentina to, to become a professional photographer and now I'm here in the US. So, so I always had issues with this concept of belonging. I always felt like so detached from my, from my culture, from my country. I, I always felt like I didn't belong anywhere. So that has been my quest trying to find where I belong and how to finally answer that question for myself. So so that's who I am. <laughs> it's funny that you basically made the perfect segue into the title of your book, <laughs> which is called We Belong. And I was wondering if you could give people kind of the elevator speech of what your book is about. Sure. This is always a hard question because it's been evolving since I launched my book and since I landed my book, because there's a big difference between launching and landing a project. But I would like to call my book is just like an artistic exploration on the, the lives of 25 women, Colombian women coffee farmers and coffee pickers. This book is divided in seven chapters and each chapter has from four to, from three to four stories where we explore their lives through this human hum, humanistic approach. And we learn about what they do, where they come from, where their dreams are, the str their struggles are. And, and the photography is pretty intimate and the texts are pretty straightforward, but also poetic. And yeah, I think that's what is my, my book is about. Like across the pages, basically, you're gonna, you're gonna like travel from one human struggle to the other one. But then you also have this human flourishing, as I like to call it which is something we all human experience. So, so I think that's what my book is about. And it's a book that there is no other book like mine. And it's not to call myself like a innovated person, or, but, it, but it's because we need more of this in coffee that I, I feel this book is so unique. So, so that is what my book is about. I was wondering, did you grow up with coffee in your life? And I know the answer to this, but I want to hear you talk about it. Did I grow up with coffee in my life? Well, I was born in a region that, was that has been traditionally known for coffee production, right? But uh, funny enough, I knew on my mother's side of the family, I had a lot of connections to coffee. My grandfather founded a, a coffee town in Colombia that still exists. It's called Buena Vista. So I knew like they had all this history in coffee, but I didn't have the pleasure of meeting my grandfather. And he was also like a coffee merchant. They, he had a lot of coffee farms. And yeah, like his story seemed always so inspirational to the entire family, men and women. But, and also I knew my grandmother was also from a coffee region in Colombia. So in that sense, you could say, yes, coffee was part of who I was. But really for me, I, I didn't feel like a lot of connection to coffee. In my household, we didn't really drink coffee or value coffee. We didn't know much about coffee. So I will say I didn't grow up knowing about coffee. In fact, the first time I went to a coffee farm was when I was 21 years old in El Salvador. 
Oh wow! And my co- and my where I'm from, the Quindío is like the tiniest little region in Colombia. So you can go to a farm like from my home where I where I grew up is 20 minutes to go to a coffee farm. But I never went to a coffee farm. So so yeah, it is pretty funny. I was like embedded inside this coffee region, but I never got to explore coffee until I was 21. What made you want to write this book? You mentioned that this book ended up evolving and taking on a different shape than maybe you had originally planned. So I'm wondering when you first proposed the book We Belong, which I'm sure wasn't even called We Belong when you first proposed (laughs) it, what were you thinking about? So that was back in 2019. I was still living in in Colombia in my hometown. And I was feeling so frustrated with the coffee industry, so frustrated and upset. Because at that point, I had been working in the coffee industry for eight years. But still, I felt like an outsider. I felt like I was not I was never going to get granted the key to belonging to the coffee industry just because I was a photographer and just because I was a content creator. So no one in the coffee industry saw me as a coffee person. And that really, really made me upset because throughout these years, I've become so passionate about coffee, even more than photography. Photography now is like an excuse to me, but coffee is really what I strive for and I, I, I just love learning more. So I had the I taken the time to learn about I've taken like barista courses, I've taken copying classes, I, I've taken sustainability courses. So so I really spent a lot of my time learning, but still I was co- I was I wasn't called a coffee person. So rather than taking that frustration and feeling so upset and say, you know what, I'm just gonna leave the coffee industry, I was like, I guess I cannot wait anymore. I have to find my own path and my own platform to speak up and to tell my opinion, to share my opinion and to, to show through my lens what I think and I value about the coffee industry. So I think like that, that is really the, the drive that, that took me in this path of making a, a book about, about, about women coffee farmers. And also when, when I had this like frustration and I was like, I really feel I need to create something on my own and it has to be something connected to my expertise and my language, which is photography, I started just going through my portfolio, just trying to see like, what is the best way to approach or what is the best topic to talk about in, in a book or to document. And, and I realized that most of the stories that I have documented, photographed, were stories of, of men, coffee farmers. And the women were in some of the photos, they were in like family portraits, they were in photos in the kitchen, but they were not the ones telling the stories. It was it was always men telling the stories, and they were the protagonists of the stories. So I am a big believer that stories are really are the narrative of our culture, and and I felt like as a as a woman, as a Latina, and as a woman working in coffee, it was my responsibility to change that and to start telling the new stories and shifting this paradigm of what coffee farming is, right? So so that's really when I, I decided to to make about a book about Colombian women coffee farmers and coffee pickers. And the funny the funny thing is like the book has been called We Belong since day one. And I have no idea how this name came to my mind. It, it is yeah, it was kind of magical. I remember when I decided, okay, I'm gonna make a book and I saw this idea just being so it was huge in my mind. I was like, this is gonna take me years to make. But it's something that I was really sure of is it was going to be named We Belong. And I remember when I started like structuring the book and creating the content with my team, I, we had a kind of like a, a discussion 
because they were not so sure about the name. They told me, I don't know if We Belong is the right name for the book. And I was like, you guys can change anything about my book. You can tell me that this photo doesn't fit or that this story has to re be rewritten, but you cannot change the name of this book. It is We Belong. So, so I don't know how this name came to me, but now that I've finished the book, that I had some months after it's been published, I feel that the name couldn't fit the book in a better way. Yeah, especially considering what you said earlier about trying to find your place in the coffee industry. Yeah. And one of the things that we were saying before we started recording is that it's interesting how stories that don't start out as autobiographical end up becoming deeply autobiographical. And in the introduction of this book, you talk about your grandmother and you talk about this idea of her being the protagonist of her own story. Mm -hmm. And that theme flows throughout the entire book. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak more to this idea of the protagonist, of women being the central figures, being the main characters of the story, because just to give folks a couple of like really quick facts, mm -hmm. I feel like these are things that have maybe been shared on Boss Barista before, but but something like 70% of the labor done on coffee farms are done by women. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that gets ignored because maybe they're not the landholders, maybe they're not mm -hmm. the ones making the financial transactions. Mm -hmm. And also just because of patriarchy, of the way that we've been conditioned to tell stories and the way that we've been conditioned to center the narratives of men over necessarily the stories of women yeah. who often become the secondary characters like you were saying in mm -hmm. photography sometimes they end up being the person in the family photo or the person in the kitchen but they're not the person telling the story yeah. so how did you really think about putting women as the protagonists of their story and furthermore how did you see that with your own grandmother as you were saying like there's so much data that back all this up and so many studies that put so much pressure on women. And I feel like that's good to a certain extent, like knowing that, because it's not only about knowing that most coffee farm, female coffee farmers are doing most of the labor in the farms, but on top of this, they're also taking care of the children, taking care of the house, cooking for the farmers, eh, for the workers, sorry. But we don't see this as, as, as part of being a coffee farmer. It's separated, right? Right. We don't see that as labor. Exactly. It's like, oh, that's what women do in farms. So so that's one one part of the story. And, and the other part is like, I feel like they're betting on women for the future of the coffee industry. And you read this everywhere. It's like, if we if we give the power to, to, to female coffee farmers, if they're the ones being in the decision-making roles, we could like grow the coffee industry because it's been shown that they know how to maintain a family. They will reinvest in the farm. But I do feel this is a lot of pressure to put, to put on uh, women coffee farmers because they haven't been exposed to a lot of the trainings. They haven't been exposed to the real like markets where you sell coffee, where you negotiate. So for me, why it was important to to publish a book where women coffee farmers were the protagonists is because we haven't even we haven't even heard their stories. We don't even know who they are. We don't even know what they want. We don't even know how they feel. So how can we as a coffee industry like design women coffee projects and put all this pressure on, on women coffee farmers if we don't even know who they are? So for me, I think that is the starting point, knowing who these humans are, because that's the only way that then we, we could work with them to build projects that are focusing on what they need. So, so yeah, for me, like that really was one of the, 
one of the goals behind this book and why I thought it was really important for women to be the protagonists of this book. Yeah, I want to I want to jump in because I want to talk about your grandmother maybe separately from this, Mm -hmm. even though it's it's related to this question. But I think you're absolutely right to pull that idea of data out because you're right. There's all this data that says, like, if we reinvest in women owned farms, they can do all these things because we know X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's great. That's, Mm -hmm. that's good information to know. But I think something that you do talk about in that book, in your book is that the data is really limiting because Mm -hmm. it kind of lumps everybody together. And like you were saying, it doesn't consider the humanity of the people that we're talking about. We're lumping in groups of people without asking them, what do you need? And also treating people as individuals. Exactly. Exactly. I feel, yeah. I, I can I totally agree with you. I feel like a lot of the how we approach the the supply chain is we know better, we know better than them and we know what they need and we're hiring experts and they're telling us all this data. So this is the way we're going to do it. But really we don't know and like a lot of the identity behind rural women in not only in Colombia in a lot of the, the like South America is something that is being, it, it, I like to call it like, is the stories. That is the narrative of our culture. And, and we, we're really in a point where we need, we need to know first what they believe in, the stories they've heard, and the, their stories they're passing on to their children to be able to say, are you sure this is the story you want to keep telling yourself? Um, so, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So in the introduction, you talk a lot about your grandmother. And one of the quotes that I wrote down is my grandmother's stories and my ability, my inability to truly see her. It seems like that really fueled your approach to this book. Obviously, we're talking about these big macro ideas Mm -hmm. of how data is interpreted, how we make decisions in coffee based on this, like we think we know better when we look at other actors in the supply chain. But there's this point too in the very beginning where the book is incredibly deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about you necessarily telling stories about like yourself and your grandmother, but it's about a transformation almost for you. And I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, about when you started to, when did you realize that you hadn't fully seen your grandmother and what, what, what was that changing point? What was that transformation point for you? Like when you were like, how do I, th- this is me fully seeing her now. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that's a great question, Ashley. So when I began, we belong the project. I never thought it was going to be about me or it was going to touch me so deep in my heart and it was going to be about my family and how I felt as a woman. I never thought that this is what it, this book was going to become. But when I was like halfway through through my travels, I visited 62 farmers and, and pickers. So I was like halfway, I was living in Medellin with my husband. We move around Colombia while I was making the book. So I took some time halfway just to sit down and basically digest all the interviews because at that point, the book was not going to have any text. It was going to be just a photography book, like a pure photography book, only photos. But but I felt I was I felt so emotionally like charged and like per, have heard so many stories at that point that I felt so heavy, and I was like I need to like dump all this feeling somewhere. So I sat down in a cafe for like a month, every single day in the afternoon, just writing and writing and writing, basically things that I heard that were things that they were telling me in between lines. It was not so like 
clear, but I knew what they were telling me. And when I started doing this exercise, I was like, I heard this before. This seems so familiar to me. Like stories like I couldn't finish high school. My grandfather didn't, my father didn't let me finish school. I became the mother of my siblings when I was eight. I, I've been working since I, since I was 10 years old. And all of this was like, fam- it, it, it felt like familiar to me. And one day when I was writing the story of Juana Ramirez, which is the first story of the book, it dawned on me. I was like, oh my God, this is the story of my grandmother. This is the stories that she's told me so many times. And I always, I always like to, to say that I, at some point when my grandmother was like 85 and I had the pleasure of sharing so much time with her, I was getting tired of hearing the same stories of her telling me, yeah, I, want, I really wanted to study, but my, my father didn't let me because I would, be, I would be oldest. And then I became the mother of the family because my mother was sick. And when it dawned on me, I started crying in this cafe full of people and I had to call my mom. And I was like, how is it possible that we've never honored my grandmother? She was also a coffee farmer. And it was thanks to her that this huge family, because my mom has 20 siblings, was able to, they, they were able to raise these 20 children. It, it was because of her, because she was the one in charge and she was the one raising them and putting all these thoughts of education being crucial for their future. So I was upset, upset with my mom, upset with my family, because in that exact moment, I realized that all my life, my family has had told me just stories about my grandfather and how I had to, to see him as the hero, as the star of the show. And my grandmother was always the one sitting behind, smiling and saying, yes, your grandfather was amazing. So that's really when it happened. And that really shook me because at that time I had a structure for the book. And it got to a point that I was like, maybe this book is not going to be about Colombian women coffee farmers. Maybe this book is going to be only about one Colombian women coffee farmer, which is my grandmother. <laughs> but but then I was like, no, I think like she embodies a lot of the things that these women have told me. So I'm just going to embrace that that those those like sections of my grandmother's life into the stories of these women. So so yeah, that's when it happened, and still to this day, I feel guilty that I never, yeah, I never saw her as more than a loving grandmother. Which is, as you were mentioning before, is part of this patriarchy. Because, yeah, I was I wasn't not I was not raised in a family where women were not considered or listened. In fact, my family was completely the opposite. My mom was like the boss of the family. She was the one making more money. She was the one owning a company. She was the one always speaking up. But unfortunately, I was raised in a in a in a culture that is still super traditional. So you have all these preconceived notions that you, they're unconscious. So, so yeah, that really, that's when this transformative feeling began. I was like, first I need to relearn who I am as a woman. First I need to dig on these feminine roots in my, in my own family to be able to write this book and to be able to listen to these women how they deserve to be listened to. Speaking of listening to the women that you interviewed, I found it so mind-blowing. At one point, you mentioned in the book that you're not a writer and that you didn't intend for this to be 
a book that had stories in it, but every single person that you photograph has a story, has details that you heard from them or quotes that you heard from them. And they're both deeply personal on, on kind of both ends on the details that these women graciously provide, but also on your end, like I found myself being really moved from moments when you were like, I spoke to this woman in Spanish, but she, you know, she told me that she didn't speak Spanish very well because she speaks an indigenous language. And I presumed that incorrectly that 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 we would speak the same language or when you were trying to build trust in certain situations how how that looked or even like the first interview that you did you mentioned like feeling nervous and the woman that you interviewed just kept talking and and making that easy for you so I was wondering for for you what were what was that interviewing process like and how did you try to build connection and trust because as a person who's interviewed a lot of people I still don't know the answer to that and I still find myself being really humbled every time I interview somebody but I find that experience of interviewing to be probably the most electrifying experience I've ever had the honor to feel totally if that makes sense yeah I think it it all like narrows down to vulnerability right I, I feel like each visit I didn't have any expectations because, yeah, something that I, pretty soon in the in this journey that I realized was like, I'm going to be meeting women that maybe they don't inspire me at all. And then maybe I'm, I'm going to be surprised or in shock by some of the stories that these women are telling me. So really, really soon in this journey, I was like, I just have to go to each of these farms with no expectations. And I think that really helped me because we were talk about the first question was like, we're not here about to talk about coffee. We're not here about talk, to talk about like how you grow coffee or if you like it. We're here to talk about your childhood. So I, I, I feel that is really what unlock this trust, because I think for all of us, childhood is the place where we develop a lot of our values or even like where we experience most of our traumas. and. Basically, that, that is the place where we built who we are for the rest of our lives, because that's where we are like sponges, right? Like we're just learning and absorbing everything. So, so for them, that was mind blowing. All of them told me, all of them told me, no one has ever taken the time to ask me about my childhood. And more than that, to listen actively. So they, they felt like I care and I truly care about just listening to their stories. So I think that really helped me. And the other, the other part that helped me was being a woman, being a Colombian woman, and, and being married, funny enough. <laughs> so I got married in 2020 during the pandemic, and I, I came back to Colombia in 2021. I had to pause my, my project one year because of the pandemic. So I never thought that being married was going to open up more doors because they were like, ah, you relate to me because you're also married. <laughs> So that helped me in some ways. So, so yeah, I think that that's what it was. And, and also that it, my camera was always in my back for the first five hours. It was, I, I was not so worried about taking photos immediately. I was just curious to learn about them. I was, and they were so curious to learn about me as well, which is funny, right? Like you, you're the interviewer, but sometimes you just get interviewed by, by people before you can interview them. And I think that also opens up um, this place where they feel like equals. Okay, now I know about her. Now I can tell her about me. 
So, so yeah, that's how I will answer that question. <laughs> I like the way that you capped that. That's how I answer that question. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's yeah. hard because I think that I think you're right. It's there's this assumption that when you're the interviewer, that you're the person asking questions, but you're really making space for vulnerability. You're making space for really deep and pointed questions, which is why I love interviewing. It's like the opposite of small talk, which feels, you know, surface level, or you're trying to be polite, or you're trying to, I don't know, create create common ground in a way that maybe maybe feels comfortable. But being vulnerable and in interviewing is like the opposite of that, because you're uncovering things or maybe asking questions that nobody has ever asked exactly. another person. Was there a point where you realized like the tenor of the questions that you needed to ask, did your questions change and transform as you kept interviewing people? Because you interviewed a lot of women. Yeah. Mm. So I never been scared of asking questions. And this is something that I, I will have to thank my mom. She's always told me like asking questions is for brave people. Ask questions. The worst that can happen is they tell you, I'm not going to answer it or I don't want to talk about it. So, so I feel that's why I was never scared of touching on, on issues or topics that were tough, like domestic abuse or losing a loved one. And it's because we all gone through stuff like this. I've lost loved ones. I, I was born in Colombia, so I was also touched by, by violence. So, so yeah, I feel that that helped me a lot. And and they didn't, they didn't feel like I was trying to dig or to take advantage. It was more like, no, she's genuinely trying to learn and genuinely asking because she wants to hear what we have to say. Was there any story or anything that somebody told you that, I don't want to say that you still think about today, because I have to imagine that you think about everybody's stories in different ways. But I wonder if there was anything that shook you more than you expected. Mm, I think two things. And I think this is something I heard from many of them. It was is not a particular story. And the first one is this idea of not feeling enough and not feeling worth it i heard so many times during these travels from different women that they like they had such low self-esteem and they were always always telling me like no i really don't know how to answer this question or i don't want to be photographed i don't i don't like the way i look i look so ugly or no i don't want to be the one in charge of the finances of the farm because what do i know like they're, they're, my husband is going to do it better for me that's really something that i still to this day I think about because this is also an, a, a struggle of mine and I think a struggle of most women we always feel that we are incapable that we are inferior and it's because basically that is the like the foundation stories that our culture like show that the women women are weak women are inferior we're not capable of doing the, the same things that men do so that's the first one and the second one is this idea that these women have gone through so many traumatic experiences and they've never had the chance to even put sound and cadence to those experiences. So in almost like half of the interviews I did, I always receive comments like, this is the first time I'm telling this 
this is the first time I'm sharing this. Oh my God, I feel so light. I, I feel like I was carrying like a heavy thing in my back and finally I put it down. So this is like related completely to mental health. And I being a survivor of depression, of severe depression, and I never, or it was, it was not something I thought it was, it was going to be shown through this interviews. Like my biggest fear mental health my biggest like monster that chased me for so many years was gonna come into this project so so yeah those two things mental health and low self-esteem and yeah that's when as as i mentioned to you before that's when you realize that no matter who we are where we're from what we do uh, what our like work or profession is we're all being touched by the human like human struggles we're all being that is, that is like the universal, like the common ground. We suffer, but we also flourish, but we also have the same dreams. We just want to get better. We want to we wanna accomplish things. So, so yeah, I think those two topics are topics that is still to this day, I, I cannot stop thinking about them. I feel like for the fact that there's so many photos in this book, we haven't talked about the photos as much. And I want to to go back to that because I think something that you 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 said that like the, some of these women didn't feel like they were worthy of being photographed or they were they were hesitant about the way that they looked mm-hmm. how did you how did you approach photographing people because that feels like a completely different intimate process yeah so so the way I did it funny enough you you have to start with like a conversation so you start without having a camera but it, that is part of the photographic uh, process, stalking. So I, I will say like most uh, photographers were also interviewers, interviewers, because if you, if you see a photographer that immediately pulls out the camera and like starts shooting, like they don't know what they're doing. Like you first have to learn about the subject you're gonna photograph. So for me, like that, that, is, the, that, that is like a key part of this photographic process. So, so that really like puts these women in like a more comfortable situation. The second thing is I, I will never start with photos that are posed. I will always start with exploring their houses, the, the, the places they like in the farm and just taking photos of things, not them. So they feel like, okay, she, she wants to learn about what, like how my kitchen looks or she wants to learn about, she wants to see my, my, my family photo album. So that immediately detached this idea of like photography is only about you posing in front of me and, and also telling them how important this is, telling them like this is your platform to not only talk, but to be listened to. So you have the responsibility to, to, to share in the, in the most genuine way who you are, because who you are is also related to a lot of the women behind that are not going to be part of this project. So I think that really helped. They, they knew, oh my God, I'm, and they, and they like the advocate here. I'm the one like showing who Colombian women coffee farmers are. And then I, I feel just being playful. That is part of being a photographer as well, feeling like letting people just play around, be goofy. For me, that really helps. It's like photography is not about looking pretty. Photography is not about looking perfect because there is not such a thing. Photography and when you really capture a photo that tells a story, it's because you captured the soul of that person. 
So I told him, you guys have to detach from this idea of I want to look a certain way. No, you have to show who you are inside in these photos. That's what I want from this uh, photogra- photographic pro- process. So so for me, that's the way I, I, I work with these women. And, and at the end, they want to be photographed because they feel important. They feel finally I'm having an opportunity to, to be listened and, and I feel I'm the protagonist. So, okay, I'll do it. Maybe it's tough, but I will do it. And, and by the end of each of the visits, they will tell me, Lucia, can you wait a minute? I want to put on some lipstick or I want to fix my, my hair or I want to change my clothes because I want to look a certain way. And that's fun. That's fun to see that just by approaching someone, listening to her story, telling them what you want to do and why you want to do it, immediately that shifts their mindset. And they're like, okay, I think I can do it, but I want to do it in my own terms. And I love that because at the end, they, they, the subject has the power. It's not the photographer. It's the subject that has the power. I love that. I love that idea of giving the subject the power because I think that just ties into all of the themes of your book about making women the protagonist, hearing their stories. And I think one of the things that really touched me in this book, and you kind of hit on it a little bit, is the idea of transformation and change. Mm -hmm. How often the stories that you tell aren't static stories. They're not like, this is this person and this is what they do. Mm -hmm. They're stories that move and that reflect. I was in this place at one point in my life, and now I'm here. And these are the lessons that I've learned along the way, which as I look at the book again, and these snippets are maybe you know, between 200 and 600 words, Mm -hmm. you capture so much movement. And I think that that's part of, I don't know if destigmatizing is the right word, but Mm -hmm. kind of removing this idea of women as a statistic, as a data point, Mm -hmm. as we see this data, so we're going to do X, Y, and Z, because that's static. That that just stays in one place versus... The stories that you tell are stories of transformation and change. And I wonder if that was always obvious or did that come, did that come as you were writing? I think so, because like when, when you, when you decide to embark in such a huge project, you know, but that by the end of the project, you, you have to change, right? And I've changed so much and the book like what I thought of like the book was going to look like changed tremendously but the other thing and 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 this is something that I recently is something that is is something I've been thinking more and more and is that when I this when I published the book there's some information uh, for each farmer so we decided to put the age the size of the farm the region where they're from and all of these things at, at that time were more to give some context but really, when I launched the book in, in Colombia, in Bogota, in March 15th this year, I decided to invite two of the protagonists of the book, one farmer and one coffee picker, because I, at the end, I was like, this book is not about me. So if we're going to launch this book and we're going to celebrate this book, they need to be part of the celebration. If not, we cannot celebrate. What are we celebrating here if they're not part of this? It's like I'm... And not being coherent to this idea that they need to be part of the of each project, right? To be able to say, yeah, they're part, they know what we're doing, and they're giving their opinion. So, so two companies helped me, and they we brought them to to Bogota. And why I'm telling you this story is because one of the so the coffee picker that came to the event, 
She's Cristina Álvarez. She's in the book. She was one of the youngest uh, women that I, I interview and photograph. When I interview her, the whole time she kept telling me, I'm scared to talk to you. You seem way more educated than I am. I don't think what I have to say is important. And I kept telling her, no, it's not about the way you speak. I'm interested and curious about your story. Your story is as important as mine. So we kept just talking and talking and talking. And she told me like that her biggest dream was to to study, but she knew that she won't be she wouldn't be able to study. So she basically settled with the life she has, right? And at some point, she told me that her biggest dream was to come to the capital of Colombia, Bogota. So she was right there in Bogota, sitting in, across from me in this cafe full of people ready to listen to what she had to say, because we had a Q&A session during the book launch event where people got to ask these women whatever they wanted to ask, this woman, sorry. And she told me at the end of the event, Lucia, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And I was like, what do you mean? And she told me, well, I just achieved my biggest dream. The only dream I had, which was to come to Bogota. So what am I going to do now? And and I was kind of like speechless for a little bit. I was like, what am I supposed to tell her? And I, and I was like, you know what? Let's open the book. Let's go to your story and let's read it again. You're not the same woman I, I photographed. And you're not the same woman I, I interview. And you're not the same woman from this story. But this is Christina from last year. And you can see it because your age changed. What you're saying here is, has changed. And... And this whole like story, long story is just to tell you that the stories of this book, all these women are now different and are, they're now different because their, their story has been read by so many people. They, they not only have voices now, but their voices are, are being heard and they're realizing that they can dream bigger, that they don't have to settle with the life they have. That they don't have to, they don't have to settle with the way they they thought about themselves, but that they can change. So, 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 yeah, I feel this book could be written today again, and all these stories will be different. And that's the beautiful thing about the artistic, like the creating from an artistic approach, because that just lets you touch on on things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to, right? So, so yeah, I feel like, and I've been, I've been getting so many comments from like agronomists that travel with me, from people, from companies that supported my, my, my work, telling me like, I don't know what you did when you went there, but this women seems different. They, they've, they're talking in a different way. And I keep in touch with them. And they keep telling me like, you coming here really changed how I, how I feel about myself because we send the photos back, because a lot of them have had the chance to look at the book. And when they see themselves there, they're like, no, I'm different now. I feel different now. And for me, that's the biggest gift from from this book. I want to touch on two things that you said while you told the story. So I went to Christina's page as you were talking. And I'm, I'm glad that you talked about her because she said maybe the most devastating thing I've ever read in in, especially in this book, there was a point, this quote that she has is, I had to read it a couple of times. So there's a point she says, I wish I had someone to support me, but now it is late. I currently believe that dreams will remain dreams. And then you say, 
it feels like Christina has a flat acceptance of the life she was offered. Mm-hmm. And it, that that line, Christina has a flat acceptance of the life she was offered. And then hearing the story of you telling of of, of her saying, like, I, I achieved my biggest dream mm-hmm. and then going back and saying, you're different, like you're a different person. I think that there's something so beautiful about small moments of transformation that we often overlook how a conversation can be transformative how asking a question that nobody has ever asked can be transformative and i think that we think of of life-changing moments as these big mm-hmm. grandiose mm-hmm. things but mm-hmm. conversations are tra- are life-changing like moments of of care are transforming yeah. and they can be that small. They can be as small as asking a question. And I think you're, I love that you pointed out that this book, if you wrote it today, if you wrote it today, it would be different. It would be different stories. The women would be different. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. There's just, there's just something to be said about like, just taking the time to like truly sit and listen to people and how transformative that can be. And that's something that we also talked about in the beginning before we, we started recording was how, powerful it is to listen and to become a listener and to have a conversation where it isn't just two people talking at each other it's two people deeply taking in what the other person is saying and and responding to that and reflecting it back and I don't know there's just something so beautiful about yeah no you 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 get in there yeah I I feel like sometimes we we take for granted this idea of being listened but when you when you look at like therapy, like the traditional therapy, basically that's what it is. Like we, no one really listens to us, right? And that, that, is, that is something that all humans need. So now we pay people to listen to us. That is how sad it is, right? So the biggest like gift you can give someone, the most valuable gift is just to really sit down and listen, not to advise someone, just to listen to someone. So, so yeah, co- completely. And, and I feel like a lot of the, as you're saying, like the, when we think about change and changing the world and, and, and making an impact in this planet, we see it as a huge thing. But I think with this small little things and impacts is even more powerful. And I, and I feel like a lot of the issues, Colombian women coffee farmers and coffee pickers is this idea of mindset. I think like they, they have a mindset and because they haven't been able to explore it and to express how they feel, they haven't questioned them themselves because they have the tools to, to change and to shift that mindset and to realize, oh my God, yes, I'm capable of doing this. Oh my God, yes, things have to change in this farm. I cannot let my husband be the one taking all the decisions or this is what I wanna do or this is how I feel. But because they haven't had the chance to express this and be listened, they haven't questioned this. And I, and I do feel like a lot of this, the process of asking yourself questions, this internal work is more powerful than anything. You can be given all the opportunities in the world. You can be the luckiest person in the world. But if you don't understand who you are and you don't have a good relationship and an honest relationship with yourself, how can you then see everything you you deserve and how can you pave the road to know where you want to go to so so yeah it all boils down to to mindset and it all boils down to to having to being physically emotionally and mentally healthy i feel it's not about the coffee it's not about the beverage it's not about paying more 
is not about climate change because if we don't have healthy coffee farmers and coffee families, we won't have any coffee industry at all. So for me, it's about the humans. And, and this is something we need to remind ourselves and we need to find places where we can see the other, the other person, even if it's a roaster, or even if it's a barista, or even if it's a photographer, a coffee photographer, we see each other as the same, the same humans. We're the same. We just happen to be born in different places. We just happen to 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 have different professions and different dreams. But at the end, we're we're all the same. No matter how much money we have, no matter how difficult our lives are. So so for me, I think that is what is really transformative, and that is what, as an artist, that's what I strive for, which is creating art that is universal and art that can tie us together. I think that's such a powerful takeaway to realize how important being listened to and expressing your feelings and telling your story is. And it seems like you've taken that that lesson from from writing the book to continue further work. So I was wondering if you could talk about the Beans to Minds project that you're working on. Sure. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. <laughs> So at the beginning, I told you that my book was launched in March 2023, but that at that point, it was just launched. It was not landed, right? Because when you create a project, you launch the project, and this only means that you finish the task and it's out. But really what the creator behind this project, when, when you feel like the real satisfaction is when you land the project. And landing the project means, was it successful? Did you accomplish the goals after publishing. So did people like it? What is the feedback? Did you sell books? But one thing that I had, one goal that I had to be able to say that I had landed this book was a promise that I made all these women. So when I visited each of these women, we signed a contract. And this contract was really important to me because in this contract, it was pretty clear how I was going to use these photos, how I was going to use these stories for how long. And the other thing is that was, I committed to donating a percentage of the proceeds from the book sales and that I was going to give it back to them at some point after publishing the book. I think most of them forgot about that because the reality is when companies go to coffee producing countries to create content, they often say, yeah, you're going to become famous. That's what we need your photo. This is the way that we're going to sell more coffee. So they, they often see this idea of taking photos like, oh, this is just fake. We know that we're not getting, we're getting nothing out of this. So I think all of them forgot about it. But it was something in my mind, constantly in my mind. Okay, what am I going to do? So what I decided to do is that all my book launches, which were four events, I collected all the earnings from the book sales to donate it back to them. So each of the book launches were really important to me because that's really when I got to talk about the book and receive feedback immediately. So in all of these book launches, I mentioned the mental health part and how I thought it was really crazy that basically, yeah, no, no, there's not a... Maybe there are a few companies, but most coffee companies haven't invested in mental health for their farmers. And, and I thought that, that this could be a transformative tool. And this could be like really where 
if you want farmers to change their mindset, to 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 understand that this is bigger, to be more open to new ideas, it all narrows down to mental health. So because I'm a big believer that you cannot wait for things to be done and I cannot wait for companies to do something about it, I was going to do it myself. So what I decided to do is with this money that I collected and I'm donating back to them, I'm structuring a pilot project that is called Beans to Minds. This project aims to provide mental health and wellness support to all the women that participated in the creation of We Belong. So I'm structuring this project with the help of two psychologists. The two of them are women and they, and they have experience working with rural communities in Colombia. And we're, we're going to implement this project uh, in the next few months and we're going to implement it virtually. And uh, right now, uh, we have 80% of the, of the funds to, to be able to implement it. So I just launched a donation campaign because when I started structuring the project and yeah, looking at the budget, I was like, no, we need a little bit more money to be able to implement this project successfully. So, so yeah, this is what I'm going to start doing in the next few months. And right now, 40 women confirm that they want to participate and the most like mind-blowing thing out of this is that when I talked to each of these women, basically 80% of them told me, I know how important mental health is and I know I need it. So this shows that they, they need it and they know they need it. So, so yeah, this is what I'm doing right now. And I feel this is really what is going to make me like accomplish uh, publishing this book. Because it's not about just selling books. It's not about receiving comments. It's about really making an impact in the lives of these women that have given me so much. That was Lucia Baywatt, coffee photographer and author of the book We Belong, an anthology of Colombian women coffee farmers. You can find out more by going to Lucia's website, Lucia Baywatt, B-A-W-O-T dot com, where you can order her book, which I highly, highly recommend. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. Com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, 
these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.